you have brought us from where we were to where we are. Only you have given us grace to forgive sins. And so we sing songs to remember that you are faithful, that you are for us and not against us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, we thank you that we can cry to you. We can lift up our voice in our distress and in our fear. And you answer us. You listen to us. Father, now we turn our eyes to your word. And we ask, what would you have us do today? How would you have us live our lives to be disciples of you? Because you are worth it. We sing for you, we worship you, and we live for you. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 30. We're going to read the first 10 verses there. Exodus uh, is really an instruction book for the Jewish people on how God expects to be worshipped. And uh, only this instruction book was inspired by God and is about 3,500 years old. And so uh, what an honor to open it up today and to read what God said to his children uh, that longed to worship him, and he made a way. He said, I want you to build a tabernacle. I'm going to dwell with you. But he had very specific instructions on how it was to be built. And throughout the last few weeks, we've been looking at the tabernacle, God's dwelling place with man in the Old Testament, and the different furnishings that were in that structure and so I've been tasked today with uh, talking about the piece of furniture that's called the altar of incense and so in Exodus 30 verses 1 through 10 we we read these instructions God said you shall make an altar to burn incense on you shall make it of acacia wood a cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width it shall be square and two cubits shall be its height now a cubit is a Bible measurement they didn't have the tape measures back then, so everybody hold up your hand right here. A cubit is the length from your elbow to the tip of your fingers extended, about 18 inches. So that'll give you a visual of, uh, I see that cubit. Thank you very much. You can put that down. Uh, so the, the size of the altar is a cubit wide, a cubit long, and two cubits high. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, verse 3, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Verse 7, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. 
Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to to hear from you today. Lord, we believe every word is inspired. And we believe in Exodus 30 we see the perfect picture of prayer. And Lord, what a holy privilege that is. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you break up the stony ground of our heart, that you make it receptive soil for the seed of your word. Lord, help us to not only hear what you say and understand the privilege we have, but also act upon it. Lord, help us to be faithful to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here in Exodus 30, we see a picture of prayer. If you take notes this morning, that's number one. We see a picture, the picture of prayer. The altar of incense is the perfect picture of prayer. This, this stand right here to my right is about the right size, give or take, of the altar of incense. It's not covered in pure gold. There aren't four horns upon it, but I do have some incense up here and a cool, nifty little uh, lighter here that folds in half. I, I thought that was really neat. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to light some incense this morning so that you can visually see what it would look like and why it might picture the prayers of God's people. Every morning, the high priest would come in and he would light incense in the morning and also in the evening. And it was a constant picture of the prayers of, God peop- of God's people going from earth to heaven. It also filled the holy place with a sweet-smelling aroma. And that's a picture of our prayers uh, in the nostrils of God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma in the morning and the evening, a continual offering. I tested this earlier this week. Some of you in the back row may not smell this. Some of you seated over here for some reason uh, will smell a lot of it because it will gravitate toward you. But it smells really good. It's myrrh. Uh, Just don't go to sleep, okay? But it should relax you. And... uh, and also, it should take about 15 minutes to burn out, so I know that that's the halfway mark for my message. <laughs> when there's no more smoke, the fire should be approaching the end. But it is a picture of prayer. And so it's an altar that is right outside the Holy of Holies. Only a veil separates this piece of furniture from the very presence of God. And this particular piece of furniture, God says, it is very holy to me. Because it is all about prayer. And so this morning as we talk about the holy privilege that we have of prayer, I want to talk about this picture of prayer, the altar of incense. Every morning, every evening, he would come in, he would light the incense. It would be a sweet-smelling aroma. Leviticus 16, 17 talks about the high priest coming in because only the high priest was allowed to enter this holy place. It was, it was separate, it was secluded, and only he had access. So he would come in, he would light the incense, and then he would pray. The high priest, a representative of the people, would pray for himself, he would pray for his family, and then he would pray for the nation of Israel. And once a year, as described in Exodus 30, he would take some blood from the sin offering, uh, this, this animal that was slain and shed its blood to cover the sins of the people, he would take some of that blood into the holy place to the altar of incense, and he would sprinkle some of the blood on the four corners, the horns of the altar. And that was to authorize the prayers. You see, the only way that God could hear the prayers of the people, even through a representative priest, was if they were through the blood of a sin sacrifice. Are you seeing the picture here? 
of what's going on in the holy place at the altar of incense. Now I want you to go in your Bibles to John 17. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, the first 10 verses. I will join you there in a moment. What John 17 pictures is, is our Lord in the garden just before he was arrested, spending time in prayer with his heavenly Father. Before we get there, I want to kind of go through the final moments of our Lord when he was with his disciples that night. Uh, many of you that have been in church many years, you study the Gospels and you know that, that he gathered with his disciples in an upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. And it was there that he instituted the Lord's table. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. He took the bread. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He washed the disciples' feet. All the events that took place that final evening with his disciples. Well, I want to look at that in comparison to the furnishings of the Old Testament tabernacle. So, guys, if you put the picture uh, that we've been referencing up of the tabernacle, I want us to start with the outer courtyard. And again, I want you to be thinking about the final night that Jesus spent with his disciples as we walk through uh, the furnishings of the tabernacle. The first thing we encounter as we come in the outer courtyard is the altar of burnt offerings. This is a bronze altar. This is where the sin offering was offered uh, up. And of course, you, you recall when Jesus took the cup, he said, this is my blood. Take and drink. It is the new covenant, the new testament of my blood. He was pointing to the fact that he himself was the Lamb of God that was to be slain to take the sins of the world. The next thing we encounter is a bronze laver filled with water. This served the purpose of, of purifying the hands and feet of the priest for service and, and washing him and cleansing him. And we know from John 13 that a part of the Passover meal, Jesus rose from the table and he girded himself with a towel and he washed the feet of the disciples. Here we have the living water sanctifying, purifying his disciples for service, picturing the bronze laver. Then we go into the holy of places, the holy place. This is a very special place. And if you look to the right, you'll see the table of showbread, also covered in gold. Every item in the holy place is either made of solid gold or covered with gold, talking about the preciousness, the holiness, the set-apartness of this place. And you see the table of showbread, and then you recall that Jesus takes the bread at the Passover meal with his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'm the only thing that can satisfy the hungry heart. And I'm, I'm being broken for you. And then just across the way, we see the menorah, the solid gold lampstand. And, and we recall that Jesus in John 14 sheds light to his disciples. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they say, well, where are you going? We don't know the way. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus, the light of the world, shines light on the path. The only path to God is through himself. And then finally we arrive at the altar of incense. The altar of incense represents the prayers of God's people. Now we go to John 17. After all the events in the upper room unfold, they leave and Jesus separates himself from the disciples and he spends time in prayer. Let's look at John 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. In verse 20, I don't have it for you, but, but Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Does this remind you of anything? How the high priest comes to the altar of incense? What does he do? He prays for himself. In the first five verses of John 17, Jesus prays for himself. And then the high priest prays for his family. Jesus prays for his faith family, those disciples that have been with him for three years that he's poured his life into. And then the high priest prays for the nation. Jesus says, not only do I pray for these whom you've given me, but I pray for all who will believe on me through them. Do you see how Jesus himself personifies every piece of furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle leading into the very presence of God? The tabernacle is the perfect picture of Jesus, and the altar of incense is the perfect picture of prayer, the perfect picture of prayer. Then as you know, Jesus was arrested in the garden. They beat him, they mocked him, they scourged him. And on this high priest, our king, they put a kingly robe. It was purple. You know the veil in the tabernacle that separated the altar of incense from the Holy of Holies? was scarlet and purple and blue. Represented royalty. They put this, this robe on our king and they mocked him. And they, they said, behold the king of the Jews. And then they nailed Jesus, our sin sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. They nailed him to a cross. And from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And that veil of separation that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that, that purple veil was rent in two from top to bottom. It was torn in two because now, through Christ, we have access, all those who believe in Jesus, we have access into the Holy of Holies. Isn't that an incredible picture that was pointing to everything that Jesus would be, everything that Jesus would do so that we could have access to God. Now we can go into the Holy of Holies. We can make our petitions known because of all that Christ has done. Well, the second thing we see and, and we're reminded of this morning is the price of prayer, the precious price of prayer. It's a privilege, yes, that was limited only to the high priest, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, he paid that price for us, and now we have access. You know, the value of something is determined by what someone else is willing to pay for it. And, uh, um, and, and what's interesting to me is in the tabernacle, everything in the outer court 
is a bronze, which is a, a mixture of metals. It's a man-made mixture of copper and tin or copper and zinc. Um, it was used in a practical way because it could withstand heat. You know, when they burned those sacrifices, it was, it was a picture of God's uh, fiery wrath toward man's sin, but it could withstand that heat. Um, but it's, it's, it's very manly, the, the bronze. In fact, there's a bronze age. And so bronze is a man-made mixture of metal. It, it represents earth. But when you get into the holy place, everything is gold. It's either solid gold or it is covered in pure gold. And that speaks of, of something that's special, something that's valuable. In fact, we still value gold today. Uh, one of our members today is letting me use this gold coin. Don't rush the stage, okay? We have security. Um, but gold was the international standard for, for the economy of nations for the longest time. I think up until the 70s, really, uh, whenever the economy got a little diverse and, and gold couldn't keep up. But a nation's uh, net worth, if you will, was based on how much gold they had. It impacted currency. So, so gold has, is the high standard. When, when you think of something gold, you think value, you think worth. And so God was giving us something that we understand, money, okay? He's, he's saying, listen, this is so special. My presence is so valuable that everything just outside the curtain, I want to be solid gold or at least covered in pure gold. You remember the lance stand that Pastor John talked about last Sunday? He said it was about 75 pounds. Well, the, the worth of gold per ounce is $1,320 currently. That would make that lamp stand alone worth like $1.5 million. And so God puts a high price tag on his presence. It, it is holy. It is set apart. It is different. It is, it is from above. It's to be cherished. It's very special. And so there's a high price associated to the presence of God. And so I want to thank you, Gary, f for this. I'm going to give you right. Oh, look, it's, it's gone. We're going to have to figure out where that went later. And I'll try to, you can track me down after church to get that back. But the gold furnishings inside the holy place remind us of the costly price of our access to God. It required the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but for, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. Back in the 90s, a contemporary Christian music artist uh, by the name of Karen Wheaton wrote an incredible song about the tabernacle. She said, in the Holy of Holies, behind the heavy veil, sat the Ark of the Covenant where the Most High dwelt. And only the high priest could enter therein to offer up sacrifice for atonement of sin. But the veil was rent in an instant, revealing that holy place. For on a hill nearby, on a rugged cross, justice met grace. Now I can go into the Holy of Holies. I can kneel and make my petitions known. I can go into the Holy of Holies, and although I'm just a common man, 
because of God's redemption plan, I can boldly approach the throne. Isn't that incredible? A high price was paid for this holy privilege of prayer. For millennia, the Jewish people had to rely on a high priest to go into the holy place where they could not go and pray on their behalf. But now, because of Jesus Christ, our high priest, who shed his own blood, we can go into the holy of holies. I like to think of it this way. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. And when he got to heaven, he left the door open for us. Now we can come into the presence of God. When I was a little boy, my parents taught me how to send a letter. Write a letter to your grandma, you know. Put it in an envelope. Address the letter. But they also taught me that no matter how fancy the stationery, no matter how nice the envelope, no matter how neat my handwriting, without a stamp, that letter would not get to where it was going. It needed a stamp. That was the key. And so it is with our prayers. They can be as flowery and fancy as as we can come up with, but without the stamp of Jesus Christ and His precious blood, they will never be heard. Jesus is our access. He is our postage. If you're 45 years or younger, let me give you another illustration. Let's talk about Wi-Fi, okay? Not many people my age or younger send letters anymore, so let's talk about Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is precious. It's a precious commodity. Um... When I held up that gold coin, all that the students could think of is, well, will that improve my internet connection? Or, I mean, I don't care about a coin, but if it helps me get a faster download time. Uh, Wi-Fi is amazing. You know, you can connect to the World Wide Web just because it's in the air somewhere. But a lot of groundwork uh, went into that. Multi-million dollar satellites were launched into space. Technology was created uh, to transfer signals and to connect you. Modems were installed. All of that groundwork was, was set up. Well, that's like prayer. Jesus came and did all the work. He came and lived a sinless life. He sacrificed himself on the cross. He was crucified and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and then he ascended and he went to heaven and he set up that connection that we have. And it's an amazing connection. It's incredibly fast with unlimited downloads. It's the best Wi-Fi ever. Any, from anywhere on the planet, whoever you are, you can access the creator of all things, all you need is the password. And the password's Jesus. Jesus. That's the holy privilege of prayer. It's pictured in the altar of incense. The high price is the life of Jesus Christ. And that should lead us to number three, the priority of prayer. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So not only should the price of prayer make it a priority in our lives, Jesus had to die so that we could have access into the presence of God, but also the example that Jesus set in his own life on earth. Jesus made prayer a priority. And if we want to follow Jesus, we're going to be men and women of prayer. Jesus would often disappear, and his disciples didn't know where he was. You know where he was? He was, he was praying. He would go off to a secluded place, and he would pray. Jesus prayed. He prayed in the mornings. He prayed in the evenings. Sometimes he prayed all night. He died with a prayer on his lips. He said, Father, forgive them. Prayer was a priority in the life of Jesus. I wanted to show you what a priority prayer is in the scriptures. 
And to do so, we're going to do something a little unorthodox. I gave you a lot of references there under point three. Well, what I've done is I've created a paragraph of all of these passages, and I've taken out all of the divisions, all of the references. You can go back and look, look them up later. But I want to read to you this prayer graph this morning of the priority of prayer in Scripture. So let's feast our eyes on the Scripture on the screens today. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask... It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you think that prayer is a priority in Scripture? Of course it is. Why? Because a great price was paid so that you and I could simply pray. It was pictured in the Old Testament. Jesus himself, our great high priest, became the sacrifice that would give us access into the very presence of God. It should be a priority in our lives. I think pretty much everybody these days has a cell phone. And those of you that don't, 
have one yet, you want one. Well, I found something that's pretty, pretty interesting. This is my wife's old flip phone. And uh, she wanted a red one. So we got a red one. And it took forever for her to let go of this flip phone. I said, honey, there's phones that do many more things. You can have directions on your phone now. There's these little things like they're called apps. You know, you can take video. Right now when you send a text, you have to hit the same key like three times to get to the letter that you want. Do you remember how long it took to send a text? Um, you don't need to do that anymore. There's a keyboard that pops up. It took her forever to let go of this. She loves this phone. She would still use this phone, I think, uh, were it not for the, the new smartphone that she has. So if I were to offer you this flip phone this morning, not many of you would be interested. You'd be like, no, thank you. No apps, no GPS, no video, no games, no thank you. But what if I told you that this phone, if you pressed one, you had direct access to the most powerful office in the free world, the office of the President of the United States. Some of you still would not want this phone <laughs> for a couple years. But you had a direct line to the Oval Office. What if I told you that if you pressed two, you had a direct line to Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who just passed, surpassed Bill Gates as the wealthiest man in the world. He's worth 90.6 billion dollars. Hey Jeff, uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could transfer some money. What if I told you that if you press three, you would have a direct line to Dr. Ben Carson, who is a world-renowned uh, neurologist, and he's also a pretty nice guy. And you could tell him whatever physical problem that you might have, and he could diagnose you, just direct line to him. What if I told you if you press four, you would have access to Marilyn Boss Savant, who is now the smartest woman in the world. She has a, an IQ way up over 200, and you could ask her any question that you like, and Marilyn would just give you the answer. She'd help you with the crossword puzzles, okay? Ladies, what if I told you that if you press five, you would be directly connected to Joanna Gaines, and you could ask her decorating opinion about your living room, Okay? course you'd want to take a picture and then you'd be out of luck with the flip phone you know we laugh about all of that and we dream big about what it might be like to have all of those people on speed dial but do you realize that at any given moment a follower of jesus christ can be in the presence of almighty god the creator of all things he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills yet we don't take advantage of it Seldom, if ever. Prayer should be a priority in the life of every believer. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer reveals the will of God. Prayer encourages the people of God. Abraham prayed and Lot was saved from Sodom. Moses prayed and the children of Israel were delivered from slavery. Joshua prayed during a battle and the earth stood still. Elisha prayed and fire came down from heaven. Elijah prayed, fire came down from heaven. Elisha prayed, and a young boy raised to life again. The disciples prayed in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit of God shook the place where they were praying. Paul and Silas prayed, and their chains fell to the ground. Prayer should be a priority in the life of the believer, and I fear that we as Christians do not experience the power of God in our lives because there's no prayer to God in our lives. 
We don't use it. Well, we've seen the picture of prayer in the altar of incense, the price of prayer, the blood of our high priest, and the priority of prayer, and this should lead us to the practice of prayer. Number four, the practice of prayer. Now, when we understand the, the holy privilege that prayer is, it should lead us to do more than gather around a table once a day and say, God bless this bunch as we lunch, as we munch on our lunch. You know, what a waste. What a waste of a holy privilege. So I wanted to conclude our sermon today with a couple practical ways to pray. By the way, we pray to God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in Jesus' will. And so three things I want to quickly give you here. The first is that our prayer should be personal. Personal. You know, formulaic prayers are okay. And if you want to pray the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew 6, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are great formulaic prayers. But Jesus didn't give the disciples that prayer to pray repeatedly. He gave them that as a structure, a format. Pray in this way. Prayer is to be personal. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to God's family. And Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father, God, the creator of all things, is your Father now. You're part of the faith family. And so when you come to him, you come to him in a personal way. I was discipling a guy one time, and I asked him to pray at the close of our time together, and it freaked him out. He said, I don't know how to pray. I can't pray like you. I can't say those fancy words. I don't know what to say. I said, just talk to God the way you talk to me. I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. Jesus invited. He said, when you pray... Say, Father. It's a personal interaction. Prayer should be personal. Jesus did it in John 17. He encouraged it in Matthew 6. In this manner, therefore, pray. Prayer should also be, let her be private. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5 through 6, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, what closing the door does is it says, nothing on the other side of that door is more important than my time with God. Sometimes you need to shut the door. Prayer should be personal. Prayer should be private. Letter C, prayer should be persistent. Persistent. Luke 11, 9 through 13. Jesus said, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And the verbs there, ask, seek, and knock, are all present active imperatives in the Greek. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means that you could translate them, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. There's a persistence to that. Continually. In Luke 18, 1. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. I love that. Pray and never give up. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the persistent widow that would just not quit asking. Prayer should be private. It should be personal. 
It should be persistent. When I think of these three elements of prayer, I think of Old Testament Saint Daniel, one of my favorite Old Testament characters in the Bible. Think of what God did in the life of Daniel. He lifted him in a, in a pagan culture from a position of obscurity to a very prominent position of leadership. He gave him favor with three of the greatest kings in all of history. And when Daniel was attacked and when he was in the lion's den, the lion of Judah came in and said, hey, other lions here, back off. This guy's with me, right? And spared him. Why did God do that? I'm convinced it's for one reason. Daniel prayed. Daniel prayed. He prayed personally. He prayed privately. He prayed persistently. Three times a day, morning, noon, and night, you found Daniel praying, seeking the face of God. And because of that, God worked in a powerful way in the life of Daniel. Let me give you some intensely practical ways to pray now. Many of you have heard of the acrostics uh, when it comes to prayer. Acts, A-C-T-S. Just a way to remember maybe the, an approach to prayer. And, and the Acts approach is adoration. I start by praising God, then confession. I confess my sins. And then T is for thanksgiving and then supplication. That's okay. I just don't like that confession comes second, you know. God's not going to hear our praise if we're harboring sin in our life. And so, so there's another acrostics. It's called PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And it stands for praise, repentance, ask, yield. Again, there's repentance as second. And so there's all this praising, but we're harboring sin in our life. I prefer this acrostic, CAST. It's based on 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And that acrostic, CAST, comes from that. And it's simply confess. Confess any sin that you're harboring in your heart. Just come clean with God. Because there's a promise in 1 John 1, 9. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then once we've taken care of that business, then A is ask. Ask. Did you see how many times that word ask was used in our prayer graph? Ask. Just ask me. Ask me. And then we submit to the will of God. Lord, however you answer, I submit. I trust your sovereignty. I yield to you. You're my Lord. You know best. And then thank him in advance for his answer. There's so much more I could say. But what we need to do is pray. When we're sad, we need to pray. When we're glad, pray. When we're mad, pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for peace. Pray for direction. Pray for God's provision in your life pray for your family your friends your neighbors to come to faith in christ pray for your pastor pray for your church pray for your mayor pray for your governor pray for your president pray for our nation pray for yourself if you're sick pray if you're healthy pray we need to pray will you stand with me this morning the old song says oh what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Listen, when it comes to prayer, I'm not a salesman this morning. I'm a satisfied customer. I could spend the rest of the day telling you how God has answered prayer in my life. 
and then I could give the mic to you, Amos. And Amos could spend all day telling you how God has answered prayer. And then I could give the mic to Jimmy and he could spend a day, maybe a week, telling us how God has answered prayer in his life. But we don't pray enough. We don't pray. We don't take advantage of the access that we have to the very presence of God. Listen, if you love someone, you'll talk to them. If you love someone, you'll talk about them. That's a whole other sermon. But if you love somebody, you're going to talk to them. God is waiting. He says, ask. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I, this is all foreign to me. Well, I have good news for you. The God of the universe will hear the, the repentant prayer of a sinner. All you have to do is to pray to the creator of all things, the one who has a purpose and a plan for your life. You say, God, I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in his finished work and I ask that you forgive me. And he will. He will. And he'll invite you into the holy place and he'll commune with you. You can call him your father. If you need to do that this morning, in a few moments we're going to sing. Just come down front. There are people here all across the front with a Bible in hand that would love to show you how to pray that prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. For the rest of you, I know you don't pray enough. Dave, how can you say that about me? Because I don't pray enough. And you're just like me. We don't take advantage of the privilege we have. So this morning, I want us to pray. You say, well, I don't really know how. Start with with just saying, Father. Just open your mouth and say, Jesus. And you'll have access to the throne room of God. So as we sing, the altars are open. If you want to come and pray, let's pray before God. Let's take advantage of the access that we have this morning. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for being our high priest. Thank you for shedding your blood, being our sacrifice for sin so that we can come boldly into your presence and ask for grace and help in our time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Come, let's pray.